so just a minute ago, uh, my friend Maddie was about to get baptized. Uh, had a little medical thing, um, so she's she's we're gonna give her a minute, all right? So I just wanna we wanna pray for Maddie because it's a it's a it's, there's some nerves to doing what we're doing. So, um, but she's got doctors and nurses and EMTs out there with her, uh, giving her some water and helping her out. All right. So let's just let's pray for Maddie. Okay, yeah. Father, um, uh, Lord, we just lift up our friend. Um, and as she's kind of struggling for the moment, just physically, God, we pray that your healing hand, loving hand, would be heavy on her um, and to bring her back to strength. Lord, we love you. In your son's name, we pray. Amen. All right. So. I don't know what that's going to mean for baptism, but we will figure it out uh, together because this is a church plan, and that's how that goes, okay? So if you got a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, that's where we're going to be this, this morning together, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, all right? And so this is another one of those, those, uh, those passages that steps on your toes a little bit. Um, and so when I was, uh, oh yeah, Oaks Kids, thanks man. Yeah, if you're kids ministry, you're a kid kid at heart and want to go to kids ministry and not listen to me, like this is your time, you guys head on out the back or the side or I don't care where you go um, and you guys will uh, get to do fun kids stuff back there. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate you, man. Okay, so Philippians chapter 3, this is one of those passages that, that's going to that's gonna step on your toes as much as it stepped on my toes this week, okay? So just prepare yourself. You're going to get there eventually. So I was reading in this passage. We'll just read the thing together. Philippians 3, verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me. It's not talking about me. It's about Paul. Paul's saying, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And I'm reading that this week, and it reminded me of this song that I've, I've, I've really just loved for like the past year. It's a King's Kaleidoscope song called Fix My Eyes. Anybody know that song? Like seven of you, great. All right, like I'm, I'm, I'm about it. I love that song, all right? I'm thinking about this song, Fix My Eyes, and like thinking about the things that I've, I'm singing that song in the car, and I'm like rocking out. I love that song. And then I'm reading this passage where he's saying, keep your eyes on those who walk toward the example you have on us and not upon all this other stuff. And I had to have this, honestly, this point of kind of conviction is me in my car praying, thinking like, Lord, what have my eyes been fixed on? What have, what have my eyes been fixed on? Whose voice have I been listening to? Like, where has my gaze been fixed these past few weeks or hours or days or whatever. Like, that's the question that this passage demands on us. And I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm singing this song. It's a passage, the, it's a verse in, this, in the song says, I fix my eyes on you, the founder and the finisher of our faith. I fix my eyes on you. The solace in your suffering is my strength. That's what they're talking about, having a, a mindset, a, like a gaze fixed on the gospel, fixed on the things of the Lord. And I had, to, I had felt like the spirit, like inside of me was saying like, Really? Really? Because like a lot of days, it's, a lot of days it's, it's not for us. As we're walking through our day, just doing normal, right? Our eyes get fixed on all these other things that seem to be a little bit more pressing, a little bit flashy. So I stopped to think about that. What have, what have I been fixed on this week? Maybe you just, like, just stop right there where you are to think to yourself, like, where have, your, where have your eyes been fixed? Like, what have you been fixed on? Where's your attention been directed recently? Who are you watching who are you learning from? Whose words are you reading and thinking about and internalizing? Who are you following? Whose influence can you see in your life? Whose influence can you see in your life right now? Whose thoughts are impacting your thoughts? 
Those are all really important questions, right? So I'm asking myself these questions and I know what I want the answers to be. But if I'm being honest with you, all the time, like the answers that I want to be true to those questions are not always the way that I want them to be. A lot of times um, I find myself being impacted more than I would like to admit by this like pervasive voice of our culture. Where there's like this pervasive voice is like, all right, this is, this is how the world is and this is what you need to care about and this is what you need to be fixed on and this is what you need to be driving at. A lot of times that's the voice that's loudest in, in my mind. You and I, we live with this like ceaseless monologue coming from like the collective voice of the internet. All of us like walk through that all the time. Like you have a phone in your pocket and there's this collective voice resounding in all of our hearts and minds. It's just the voice of the internet telling us what's true, what we're supposed to be about, how we're supposed to live our lives, what we're supposed to do and not do, who we're supposed to be. And in comparison, the living and active holy inspired word of God that gets to be a whisper in the background sometimes. I don't want the word of God to be a whisper in the background compared to this like screaming voice of culture in my face. Friends, me and you, we, we have to watch who we watch. We've got to be careful about who we're watching. We've got to be careful about it, intentional about what it is that we're listening to, what we're basing our lives off of, because otherwise we'll just listen to the loudest voice. And the loudest voice is definitely not always the true one. So Philippians you know, 3.17, let's just take this thing apart together. Verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me. Paul's telling people to imitate him and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you've had in us. He's like, all right, so you know me, like you know the apostles, like, like keep your eyes fixed on people who are actually following Jesus. Listen to them, follow them, all right? So imitation has been a recurring theme all the way through the book of Philippians. If you've been with us as we've walked through Philippians together, you've seen time and time again, Paul is kind of telling this church plant, all right, you should imitate these type people. So he points to, first he points to himself in, in chapter two and verse 17 and 18. He points to Timothy and Epaphroditus in, in 19 through 30. And then he points to Jesus as the ultimate example in, in the beginning of chapter two where he says this. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then just preaches the gospel. He says, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he said, that is our example of laying down one's, one's life, like, like considering yourself like a servant, taking on the form of a servant and like laying your life down for other people. That's what we're called to do. And he's like, these live lives like that. And he points to himself. He points to Timothy and Epaphroditus. He points to these people. And he returns to it again here and says, seriously, just imitate me. And that may seem a little bit egotistical, doesn't it? Where Paul's like, listen, church plant, just do what I do. Like, I, I'm never going to have the guts to get up here on stage and be like, listen, you should just be like me. I'm not going to do that, all right? But this is Paul, and he wrote half the New Testament, so he gets a pass on it, okay? So Paul says, just imitate me, and you'll be going in the right direction. He qualifies it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's the kicker there. It's not just like about following somebody and just, you know, okay, I like them or their style or whatever. He's not saying, I, I just I want you to be like me because I'm great. He's saying, follow me as I'm following Jesus. He's describing how he's, he's counted everything has lost compared to knowing Christ, right? That's what we've been talking about the last two weeks, how Paul goes through this laundry list of all these things that he used to put his confidence in, and now he considers them worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And he says, after that, right after that, like, so, so 
I want you to live a life like that. Counting all the things you once trusted in as garbage compared to knowing Jesus, being found in his righteousness, being like enveloped by his grace that he showed you on the cross, like just leaning into the gospel. He's saying, as I, imitate me as I'm following after Jesus. Have you guys ever been uh, behind like a truck or something that says like, follow me to whatever, you know, like to Publix or something, or like, nobody ever does that. Nobody, nobody like goes to Publix because the 18-wheeler in front of you is like, we got groceries, you wanna come? The only time I've ever actually like done something like that was the very first blends bowl I had, okay? I saw, like, literally, last summer, campus was shut down, and I'd been wanting a blends bowl. I saw them on Instagram, and I was like, I gotta get, I gotta get one of these like, fruit bowls, man. Like, my life is incomplete without this bowl of fruit. And so like, I saw the truck driving near my neighborhood, and it was like this beacon of hope, like driving down in the middle of Corona, you know, and like the world shut down, and like there's this truck, and he's just like, you want some fruit? Yes, and so I just followed it. Just straight up stalked the thing. I drove around behind it for a while, and eventually it like stopped in a neighborhood, stopped in the towns, like the Greens live there, like stopped over in your neighborhood up in the front. And I was like, okay, I probably should like give them a minute to get set up and not just like jump out as soon as they stopped the truck. And so I like drove around the neighborhood for a second, came back, parked behind the truck. They had the little surfboard propped up, you know, it was ready to go. And I walked up and I'm like, I just followed you here. Can I have a fruit bowl, please? Like, this is, I mean, Felt a little awkward about it, but it worked out great. I got, so I got a fruit bowl, and now like Zach and Riley are part of our church, and like everything's fantastic. So every once in a while, you actually have to follow someone. Like, but most of us, for the most part, like we're not intentionally doing so. We're kind of just floating around, and we end up somewhere. He's saying, follow me as I'm following Christ. There's a real significance to, to, to who you follow. I learned so much. You learn so much by, by just who you're around, not even like intentionally trying to learn from them. But by watching and observing and just listening, being around other people, like, it changes you. Even if it's not physical, even if it's people that you're following online, there's an impact on you that sometimes is almost imperceptible to you, but it's perceptible to everybody around you. We all like to think that we're super unique. We all like to think that we're going our own way and we're plotting our own course and we're figuring it out and we're deciding. I've come to figure out I'm not all that unique. Actually, I'm not unique at all. Like, there's been a few times where God has just humbled, like, the mess out of me about that. Like, I'm just not a beautiful and unique snowflake. That's just not who I am. Like, Jessica and I, the first time uh, we, were, we were looking at, I think it was, like, second kid. I got all these kids, right? I don't remember which one it was. But somewhere in there, we went to, went to Barnes & Noble, and we got, a, we got a baby name book out. Okay, and we're like, we're just going to check and see, you know, check the lists, find a cool people list or whatever, name a kid, something on a list. I don't know. We're not that creative. And so I get the list out. And we're in this book, and we find this, there's like a thousand pages and all these different lists of names. And so if you're this type of person, these are some names you might be into. We found this list called Vintage, like, I don't know, Vintage something. I don't know what it was. Uh, but, but every name we had ever considered for a kid, and all of our names of our kids, and my dog's name, all on this list. Just in, in Barnes & Noble, it's like, hey, you're not that creative or unique. Like those names you thought were cool? Mm -mm. you're just like, you're in this category of human beings. You're like everybody else. You're like, me and the a guy named Alan, who's the network lead, like the, the first church in our network is in Florence. We look exactly the same. We would keep showing up to church together in Florence wearing the same clothes, like literally the same shirt from Target, the exact same one. We have the same glasses. People, I, sometimes I would preach, and then afterwards, somebody in the back would go tell Alan he did a great job. 
We are not unique. I go to church planter conferences, every church planter on the face of God's green earth looks exactly like this. That's just what we do. You can't, you're not allowed to plant churches unless you have a little stubble beard and like the dark square glass. You can't do it. They won't let you do it. It's a fact. They just, you can't do it. Every time I come in here, some other guy about my age is like, hey, did you get, the, did you get that shirt from Target? Of course I got it from Target. That's the only place any of us get anything anymore. We just go to Target, right? The same holds true for how we live our lives. We're, we're always learning from someone. We're being influenced by someone or something. Like it's just, it happens. You don't realize it. I'm over here thinking I'm coming up with great kid names and these people in the book are like, nope, you're basic. It's just who you are. We're all influenced in ways that we can't necessarily see. Oh, that quote that says that Christianity isn't just taught, but it's caught. Like Christian, like following Jesus is not something that's just taught. It's caught from those people around you, those influences in your life. And we've got to be people who see the truths of Scripture, like lived out in, in real time. We've got to see that in other people. So, like, I didn't start reading my Bible. I, I became a Christian when I, was, when I was early in life, and I wasn't following Jesus at all until high school. And I started trying to read my Bible because I saw some other people around me who read their Bible. It changed everything for me. I just saw some people that actually spent time with the Word of God, and I started trying to figure it out. And I didn't know how to get anything out of it, so I started asking them, what, how do you get something out of this? I'm reading this, and it's just words. Like, what are you doing? It's different than what I'm doing. I caught it from them. They showed me how to do this. Listen, like trying to figure out how to be, how to be a, a, like a, a godly husband. I needed some, some godly married people around me to catch that from. There was no book I could read that could pour that into me. I needed to be around some people who were showing it, and that's how I learned how to do it, from godly married people around me. Like, that's how it's going to have to work for you, too. How to be like a godly man. Like, nobody can tell you that. You gotta see that in some other people. You gotta rub against some folks and figure out this is what it looks like to follow hard after Jesus and be a woman of God or a man of God. Like, it's caught as much as it's taught. Prayer for me, it was always hard because I never had any like solid like prayer warrior kind of people who were close to me. I never had a good picture of what that looked like and how to really devote myself to prayer. So it took me a long time to start figuring it out. What I figured out eventually was I didn't have to have somebody physically in my life, like in my circle. So I went outside to people that were dead, but who had written really incredible books about how to do this. And so I'm like, great, you're going to be on my team now. You're my mentor. You've been dead a while, but it's still cool. Like we can still hang, you know, like there's a pretty powerful thing there. A lot of what I know, a lot of the ways I follow Jesus, I caught from someone else. And a lot of the ways that you're not following Jesus well, a lot of ways I'm not following Jesus well, we've caught that from someone else too. We've got to watch who we watch. Listen, God uses other believers to sharpen us. A lot of the how is picked up from faithful followers. So who are you around? Like who are, who are you watching? As Paul says, imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus, right? Who are you watching? They don't have to be in the room. Like you, and, you have access to the greatest Christian minds in history have written these beautiful, incredible books for you that take a little while to read. If you're not a reader in the room and you're slow like me, that's just part of it, right? But you have access to the greatest Christian thinkers of, of all time that you can read and like see their struggles, see what they would have you do and they're coaching for you. Like you can be coached by the strongest believers in history if you'll let yourself. But you gotta get off Instagram to be able to do it. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. I'm like, you're trying to figure, what out, like, figure out how to be a believer. Like, I talk to some people who aren't Christians yet, and they're like, I'm not really sure what to do. And one of the questions I always try to ask is like, okay, so who do you know that's, that is a Christian who is actually following Jesus well? And they usually have a couple of names. I'm like, okay, so what would it look like if you started to, to kind of lean into that and ask some questions of them and say, like, 
to be a Christian? Like, how, what does that mean? And then, then after you become a Christian, like, what do I, what do I do? I was talking to somebody who became a, there, two other people, three, well, three people now have trusted Christ as their Savior that have through like your ministry in, in the last, I think, week and a half, which is pretty insane. All right. And so I was hanging out with one of them this this past week, and like, okay, so I, I'm I'm in. Like, I, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. What do I do now? And I was like. Phone a friend. You know, that's the kind of a part of like, I, yeah, I said some stuff too, but I'm like, there, you need to be on the phone with some people like, that can help you figure this out and get your feet under you and help disciple you, which is the entire point of our church, right? To be disciple makers. To send disciple makers to Jesus by being disciple makers. Let somebody disciple you, like lean into you. Maybe you're a brand new Christian and, and you're struggling. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get stuff out of the word. Lean in. Like watch who you're watching. Like push into those people around you that are a little bit further ahead of you. They can help. Don't do that in isolation. So who are, who are you watching? Who is it that's showing you how to live for Christ? I don't care if you're my age. I don't care if you're 60 in the room. Like who is it that's coaching you? Because you don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. That's why I'm reading books all the time, like figuring out how to follow Jesus better. Imitate that. Imitate trying to learn it, right? Like who is it that you are learning for? Who are you watching? And for those of you who have been Christians a while, like, who are, who are you setting an example for? If you've been a Christian for a while and you've gotten some stuff figured out, there's somebody behind you who needs to know what you know. Are you in relationships with other people who are kind of coming up behind you in, in, in faith? Like, are you coaching some people, helping them figure it out? Are you asking them questions about their prayer life? Are you helping them figure out how you memorize scripture to help them give some tools to, for them to do it? Like, are you investing yourself in someone else? Because it's not all about you. It can't just be inflow, inflow, inflow. I want to be strong. I want to know Jesus. And then it just stays there with you. That is not the point. So if you've been walking with Christ well, or even like sort of well for a little while, who are you pouring that into? Are you being a disciple maker? Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. But if we're honest... A lot of times our eyes get fixed on other things. So Paul continues, and in verse 18 he says, For many of whom I've often told you, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their ends is destruction, their God's their belly, a glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's saying, listen, there are people you should watch, and there's people you should watch out for. All right, there's people that you should watch, and there's also some people that you should watch out for. You've got to watch what we watch, all right? And so the people that Paul is talking about are apparently those who would claim the name of Jesus, would claim that they're Christians, they've claimed they're trusted Christ, but, but don't live for him. Or they're claiming the title, but their lives do not reflect it. They're fakers, they're pretenders, they put on a good show, and that's all. They say some, they say some really good stuff, but, with, but like the fruit of their life doesn't line up with the word of God. And those are the tricky ones, right? Because if you, like, surely, like, if you're claiming you're a Christian, like, you're the fruit of your life is going to line up with that. And he's saying there's, there's people out there. He's saying there's, that's, that's not the case. That would claim the name, that would, would put, like, claim the name of Jesus. Their lives do not reflect it. And they're calling people to a lifestyle that does the same thing that they're doing, calling people to a lifestyle of, of, of claiming Christ and then walking in disobedience with him. They're fakers. It's super dangerous. I mean, it's really hard for us to know what to do with somebody who has influence, who seems like they've got it together, who claims Christ, but is drawing people to live contrary to the word of God. That's, like, that's really hard for us to figure out what to do with. 
And so Paul, he says they're known for a specific set of values, the people you've got to watch out for, a specific set of values. First, he said their, their God is their belly. That's a weird phrase. Their God is their belly. What that means is their priority is pleasure. Like their priority in life is, is, is their pleasure, their fulfillment. All right? this, is, this will be anybody who would, who would uh, encourage appetite over obedience. So look, if there's something that you want to do that, would, that you think would fulfill you or make you happy, then surely God would want that for you because God loves you and his, the greatest end, apparently, not true, is your happiness. So then anything that you would want to engage in that would make you happy then is fine. And you're like, okay, well, that kind of makes some sense. And then you can read the Bible and it's like, nope, not true. Like that's just not there, right? And so there's, but there's this voice like echoing and through the culture right now. It's like appetite over obedience. Obedience is oppressive. Appetite is natural. Do whatever that you feel like you want to do. And surely it's got to be okay with God, right? Because he's really nice, I think. I don't know. Not, that's not the point. But that's the voice. It's where fulfillment is found in indulgence. God wouldn't want you to abstain from something. God wouldn't want you to pass on something that, that would be fun or something. It's like, God wouldn't want you to pass on something that you would like naturally want to do. Like, no, surely not. He just wants you to do you. That's not it, man. That's, that's not how we live our lives. He says, second, they glory in their shame. What that means is that there's people that end up, end up celebrating what offends God. They glory in, in what should be shameful. They're glorying in their shame. Like there's, they're celebrating what is offensive and what breaks the heart of God. And their sin isn't something to be brokenhearted over. It's something to be enjoyed and excused. It's a weird jump to make, but you, you start watching for it. You see people make that jump all the time of glorying in things that should be shameful. And like, what are we doing? And they'll make arguments that make a lot of sense, but when you hold it up against the word of God, it makes absolutely none. Happens all the time, man. Voices encouraging people to serve their appetites, celebrate what offends God, and they'll hang a Christian sticker on it. And then you've got to figure out what to do with that. But here in Philippians 3, Paul is specifically talking about those who claim Christ and lead people away from him. Into any, like really into any kind of form of sin, of greed, of hatred, of pride, of self-harm, of like a lot of it's just sexual morality. It's saying, like, just go nuts, man. Do whatever you want to do. And all those things saying like that, that, that draw toward greed. If you, you, you pursue like everything you want, every dream that you might have materialistically, and God's going to back you up. Watch out for that. The people that would call you to like to just like lean into whatever it is that like naturally occurs in you that, that God's word says would break his heart. But they're like, sure, he's fine though. He's okay. He'll deal with it. You do you. It says watch out for those people. And I've, I've, you see it in reality TV people, you see it in Christian bloggers, you see it all the time, where people are, 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 are encouraging, are celebrating the things that break the heart of God and calling people to a life of disobedience to Christ under the banner of loving him. And I, I'm just here to tell you, like, listen, like, <laughs> that's not what loving him looks like. James talks about the way that we can see that we love him as if we're obeying him. If we're trying to live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies and pleases the Lord, then that that's demonstrates our love for him. And if we choose to walk in disobedience to him, to ignore his precepts, to ignore his word, and just do whatever we want to do and hope he gets over it, like that does not sound like love to me. When my kids just go and do whatever they want, 
and completely ignore whatever I'm saying, where I'm like, hey, hey, stop, 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 stop. And they're like, huh, right, cool. And I like, continue to do it. That is not the most loving they ever are with me, right? And if that's the way we live our lives with the Lord, that's the exact same thing. Disobedience is disobedience. If you're willingly walking away from him, that's just called sin. And anytime that we try to, try to overlook that or, or twist that around and kind of make some weird theology to say that somehow God is magically okay with the things that he has said he's not okay with, we're setting up someone else's voice over and above the word of God. And Paul says, watch out. He says, be weary of any voice that says that, that love means ignoring someone's sin. That's not loving at all. It's passive and it's lazy. It's loving to fight for someone's freedom. It's loving to lay down your life for someone else's redemption. To step in and call people towards repentance, call people back toward the Lord. That's loving. Ignoring it or even encouraging it is the most lazy and passive, unchristlike thing that we can possibly do. It's hateful to encourage people to glory in their sin. Listen, by the authority of the word of God, man, we can't be people who worship the God of our stomach and glory and our shame. That's not what believers are. That's not, who, that's not who we are. Our joy and our hope, our identity, our purpose and fulfillment are not found in chasing every little desire that we have. They're found at the foot of the cross in Jesus. Walking in freedom from sin, not drowning ourselves in it. So Paul calls us to watch who we watch to imitate Christ and those who follow him well. This whole passage reminds me of, of, of Proverbs 13, 20, where it says, whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Remember that again. Like, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are you watching? Who are you walking with? Like, whose view are you adopting? There's just like a ton of really clear application here. Like our band's gonna come, they're gonna lead us in a time of response. Like there's some really clear application as they come. So three things, like one, you and I, like if you're a Christian in the room, like we have to figure out how to make our Bible our greatest influence. Like my Bible has to be my greatest influence. Your Bible has to be your greatest influence. Like above and beyond what anybody else says, what I say, what your tribe leader says, like above and beyond all else, like the word of God has to be your greatest influence. And I'm gonna step on your toes here. If you spend five minutes with the word of God a day or 30 minutes a week, compare that to the, the, the massive time you, you, like you're listening to someone and something else. Who or what's your greatest influence? Second, you gotta choose your mentors and your friends really intentionally. Maybe you need to send your tribe leader a text and ask her to grab coffee or something or spend some time talking with someone who's just running really hard after you, your Jesus. Like you've gotta find some people who can mentor you, can invest in you, can pour into you and help you figure out how to run harder and harder and harder after Jesus. And then you've got to start becoming that same person for someone else. And finally, you, you've got to do whatever it takes to remove those, those influences that are drawing you away from Jesus. You probably know what those are, right? Like, that, like I, I, I deleted Facebook and Instagram like a year ago and it's been awesome, okay? So like if you've asked me to be your friend on Facebook or something and I said nothing, it's not personal. I just really hate the internet right now. Okay, and so maybe, that's, maybe you need to bail, at least for a while. 
Just spend like two weeks just not engaged on the internet at all and just immersing yourself in the word of God. Like realigning those, those voices for you. I'm not saying like there's like friendships like you need to drop or whatever, there's, but there's, if there's somebody who's claiming Christ and drawing you away from him at the same time, that's not somebody you need to listen to. There might need to be some adjustments there. I don't know what you gotta do, but if you're gonna make the word of God your greatest influence, that probably means you're gonna have to remove the influences that have been superseding it. So who have you had your eyes fixed on? I know my eyes haven't been fixed necessarily where I want them. So I want to pray for us, and I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to have a time to pray as well. And just be honest with God about that question. Who have you had your eyes fixed on? Who have you been listening to most? Who do you look like? Because for me, there's some repentance that needs to happen there. And there probably is for you as well. So let me give you just a moment to pray on your own, and then I'll close this in prayer. You pray. There's, there's some days that, that, God, there are so many voices shouting at us and it's hard to hear your voice. And a lot of days, your word becomes a whisper. And that whispers are hard to follow. I think for a lot of us, myself included, God, our desire is to see you, to see your word like first and foremost in our lives, to be people who live like you've called us to live, who glory in the gospel, who line up with scripture. But a lot of times, like, the voices are so loud and compelling. So God, my prayer for us is that as we go forth from this place, as we walk out of this room, as those of us who are Christians, God, I pray that by your spirit, that you would help us to dig deeply, drink deeply from the word and have the wisdom that we need to shut out those other voices. I want to pray for those in the room who are brand new believers, haven't been following you very long and have so many questions and have so many questions about how to follow you. God, I pray for other believers in this room that they would be the people that would step up and invest in them, that would disciple them, that would show them what it looks like to follow Jesus well. I pray for the people in the room who have been Christians a, a while, that you would, you would send them into the harvest. God, that you would help them to see their lives as literally being sent for the sake of the gospel. And I pray for every single person in this place that has not yet trusted you as their Savior. God, I pray that they would find hope in Jesus. I pray that, that by your spirit that you would draw them to yourself. And I pray that they would soon, right, I pray right now, that they would come to a point that they'd say enough is enough. Like, I don't want to follow the world. I want to follow him. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. God, let us be a church that, that follows hard after you and nothing else. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Ben leads us.